Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this October 7th, 2022. Rapidly wrapping up the remainder of this, well, I guess it's a year that's not nearly as insane as the last couple, but yet continues to get more bizarre. And and now we, we have the so-called, well, we, no, we're not under the threat of Armageddon. No, really, the White House swears we're not. Uh, <laughs> that's never a good sign when you hear things like that. But hopefully we will get to the end of this year uh, before somebody loses their minds. But uh, it's it's it started to get kind of more mellow, even though everything's insane. And that's a really bizarre place to be. And now it's, well, we let's just dial up the weirdo to 11. So... <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting closer, and by God's grace, we will continue to to march forward and do the work that he has given us to do, no matter how weird it gets out here. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for continuing to be part of the Voice of Reason Radio family. We are so grateful for you guys. Uh, you guys were actually, I think, one of the more, even though it's not like the super highest downloaded you know, we've had in like a single week, we had a lot of a response back from last week's program, and we really appreciate that. Even if you didn't fully agree with us, um, the, the comments were, were uh, respectful. And those of you that did agree with us, I think you understood where we were going with that. And you've been really gracious to to share that with other folks and to let us know your thoughts on it. Even had an uh, email come in from uh, from our, our website, which, by the way, is slavetothekeng.com. You can contact us that way. If you have a memory that's really good, you can just email directly at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com or you can just bookmark our website, slavesoftheking.com, and you can uh, contact us through the contact tab there. But we even had message come in through there, so we were really grateful for that. Um, probably, Rich, one of the more interactive episodes we've had in, in, in a while, which is really, it, I think that was, we were hoping that this would spark some thought and some interest in that how we approach that topic of of dealing with the culture war and dealing with uh, as Christians how we engage these issues if we're going to be involved in the political side of things and it seems like a lot of you that resonated so we're grateful that that was helpful to you we pray that it is a blessing and even if you find yourself in disagreement to some extent um, whether you fully disagree with everything we said or whether you just find minor areas of, of disagreement, what we hope is what it we've always hoped is that it will drive you back to the Word of God and to think on these things, not because my particular um, camp, this is where we sit, but you know, and it's there's nothing wrong with by way of having a particular I, a camp seems like such a terrible word to use because they're really not a it's not a great theological term but um you might find yourself within a certain uh construct or a theological structure that leads in a certain direction so like if you're if you're dispensational you're pro- you're going to say world's getting worse 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 if you're and that's going to determine how or if you engage in political progress if you're post-millennial you you, you believe that and i'm going to try to say this right you're, you're you believe that wherever Christianity influences Christ is victorious. Therefore, you want more engagement. And so, even though you might be in those different theological camps, we're just going to challenge you. Don't necessarily do it just because that's where your camp goes. Might be the right way. But make sure you're digging into it and digging into the Word and even challenging your own theological constructs to 
you know, to the point that you either understand them better and can articulate it, or if you find areas, and we all have them, uh, where we're, we just have blind spots, we, we, we all do it. Uh, you know, John MacArthur has more than once said, for example, hey, uh, there's areas if I, I'm wrong. And he says, if I knew where they were, I'd change them. And it was R.C. Sproul sitting right next to him as he said that, who said, hold the, uh, hold the phone. He says, stop the music. Let me tell you something about John MacArthur. And he says, I know that if this man you believes something and you show him in scripture where he's wrong, he's going to believe he's going to change on the spot. And that's, that's what we, you know, I think we all want to be encouraged to do. And so hopefully what this episode did as we continued to, you know, to continue engage in this, because we're all going to engage at some level, hopefully what it's done is cause you to dig into the scriptures a little bit more and study and, and be more involved in that. So, very encouraged that so many of you guys responded back and gave us your thoughts on it. Very a great many of you that did respond. Very positive comments. Perry uh, seems we kind of struck the chord that some of you are feeling. So we're grateful we were able to help you with that. Um, want to start this episode off with a, a plea to pray for a brother in Christ. We have a, a dear brother who he was pretty well injured today, and he and he's posted it uh, on social media. And uh, this is one of those things where it's like it wasn't life ending, but obviously it changes a lot of things. And so we want uh, we want to uh, excuse me, we want you to lift up Britt Smith in your prayers. Uh, he was injured on the job today, which uh, the injury quite unfortunately took, uh, I believe it was his right thumb and uh, that injury. It, they could not reattach it. And while that is not, you know, somebody might go, oh, well, okay, for a second there, I thought somebody was dying. Uh, that's still serious. You're talking about the, the in many ways, a, ch a life-changing injury because you think about how often you use your hands and the type of work that Britt did uh, and no idea where how that will impact his employment for the future. Obviously, all of this is continuing to develop. Um, the the loss of the ability to, to use a particular hand in the way you always did and that and the work you did was very mechanical in nature um, that that changes a lot of things now Brits had a very good attitude on on uh, social media about it he's you know the Lord you know he's made it very clear Christ is with him you know this is according to God's will and so we're grateful that he is holding tightly to that but Brit is a dear friend of this program and he is very interactive and uh, with what we do, very much uh, involved in keep engaging with us, and he has been uh, just a dear friend. And so we want to lift that up to you because not often, right before a show airs, do we get that kind of information. And so we uh, we've been sharing on social media and interacting with him. Um, obviously, many steps ahead for him, but we're just going to ask you to do that. Uh, really care about the guy. Really. Uh, grateful for his support, for the prayers, for the interaction, uh, for the sharing of the program. And, uh, you know, he's a dear friend to us. So, Britt, we're praying for you. We love you, brother. We hope that uh, as the days and weeks go forward, uh, you continue to cling tightly to Christ and, and that God will resolve all the issues that may yet uh, be ahead of you. Uh, Lord, you know, we pray that... Uh, you know, he will make that path straight. He will make clear what you need to be done. And that we pray that the doctors who treat you and all the things that uh, that are yet to develop, he's got it all under control. We know that. 
and we know that you know that. So continue to keep us all uh, aware of what's going on with you, brother. And uh, folks, be praying for him. If you, and if you're affiliated with him, you know, reach out to him. Let him know that you're praying for him. Let him know that you care about him. Uh, these are the types of things. It's it's always this is where the the uh, the the body of Christ can just really be such an amazing comfort. So wanted to put put that out there for you guys. Um, not I know a lot of people already know about it, but if you hadn't heard that, you know, just lift him up in your prayers. Um, always want to remind you guys we're part of the Christian podcast community. Always encourage you to please go check out that uh, that that uh, the website for Christian podcast community, and you can find it for through strivingforeternity.org. Uh, you can also just you know punch it into your your Google machine, and uh, you'll you'll find that uh, you will find a ton of programs on there that you're going to get something beneficial out of, and um, you're you're going to be blessed by. And if you just go to, I think it's podcast.strivingforeternity.org, you go straight to that. That will take you to the Christian podcast community, and you will find a ton of stuff there and continues to grow. I'm uh, so blessed by the uh, the variety of programs available through that. So please go check that out. Um, also, I just I didn't think about this until just now. Uh Andrew posted a uh, an upcoming conference, and let me see if I can find it again for you guys. I think he, some of you might be interested in this. Um, okay, Facebook, don't be slow on me right now. <laughs> it not right. Yeah, I should have thought about this before I started the show, but I didn't do that. And now I don't have it up, and now I got to keep talking while I'm trying to get this thing to come up. It is the cessationist conference. He says, kind of think about it like Strange Fire 2.0. It is going to be November 18th through the 21st. It is a cessationist conference uh, up in Kootenai, Idaho. Uh, there's going to be a number of speakers there, including Andrew, but also uh, Justin Peters, Jim Osmond, uh, Dan Phillips, a, a wonderful brother in Christ. He's got a couple of great books out there. If you have never read, I think it's World Tilting Gospel, you should go get that book. Great book. Uh, Brian Borgman, who happens to be a pastor out of my neck of the woods, he's a uh, pastor of Grace Community Church down in Gardnerville, Nevada. He's going to be up there. Wonderful brother. Uh, his, he is friends with uh, the pastors of our church. Uh, grateful for his uh, his ministry. A lot of folks going to be up there, and it's a three-day event, and it's going to be at the Kootenai Community Church up in Idaho. And if you, uh, if you just go to kootenaichurch.org, and that's K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I church.org. You can find it on there. We'll talk, I'll also try to remember to put this in show notes. But I think you guys are going to find this interesting, uh, uh, pretty informative, and pretty helpful. Uh, there, It's uh, dealing with the issues of things like, are the apostolic sign gifts in operation today? Um, and they're talking about the charismatic church. So I think you'll find yourself... Uh, Andrew just posted this today. I uh, wanted to get that out there for you guys. I think it'll be a, a good conference for you guys to to get some good education on this issue because um, I think John MacArthur's book, Strange Fire, makes a very, very good point. I think a lot of people, and I think even Justin Peters has said this many times, a lot of people think of the charismatic church and they think about the stuff they see on TBN and they go, that's the fringe. Well, that fringe is a multi-billion dollar industry and it's being exported around the world. It has more mainstream uh, connection than many of us realize and you're likely going to find people 
in your Christian walk who believe much of what these things, uh, much of what these churches teach. So again, this is the Cessationist Conference, November 18th through the 21st, and it's going to at the Kootenai Community Church up in Idaho, which is right, like it's next to Canada. Okay, think of it that way. Think Idaho. There's that little panhandle goes right up to Canada. They're up there. So if you can get up there, uh, I would definitely tell you to check it out. I don't know if they're going to be doing any streaming of that. That information I don't think is made available at the moment. I don't see it on the website. But uh, I would definitely, if you can get there, I would encourage you to go check it out. Definitely go check out the website. So, Rich, how are you doing this week, brother? As always, brother, better than I deserve. And that conference really sounds interesting and gave me an idea for a topic somewhere down the road for you and I. Um, And I don't remember where I read this, but just keep in mind, not all Pentecostals are charismatic, but all charismatic are Pentecostal. And that's a topic I'd love to dig into somewhere down the road because I think it's in today's world it's gotten to be when you hear the word charismatic, people automatically think of Pentecostals, but there is a difference. And I don't know if they're going to discuss that during that conference or not. I did see Andrew's post about the conference and it does sound interesting. And I know, at least I think I know we both really agreed with the strange fire book that pastor MacArthur put out. It's been a long time since I've read it. I mean, this may be a good time to jar my my own memory and go back and reread it because that came out several years ago mm-hmm. and it's probably been several years since I've read that. But that is one thing that I have come across several times over the years, what Justin Peters was saying about America exporting the charismatic teachings and that whole TBN mentality and the multi-billion dollar industry that it's grown into. And sadly, that's one of the many things that has been exported by America mm-hmm. that never should have existed to begin with. But that's a discussion for another day and another time. Amen. How are you doing, brother? Uh, How are you doing? I never asked you that. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to say the same as you, better than I deserve. Uh, it has you know, been a typical work week with many challenges in, in and of itself. Uh, one of these days when I am officially retired uh, with as according to my current countdown clock is like one year, three months, and 25 days. Uh, but who's counting? <laughs> one of these days, I will be a little bit more free to talk about some of those things. Um, you have to be careful when you work in certain industries uh, that you don't draw a nexus between yourself and whom you work for because, you know, it can come back to bite you. And so one of these days I, I, I'm going to give you guys, maybe I'll just do a show about the various things I learned in this particular field of, uh, of, of professional service. Uh, but so yeah, it's, it's let, been let one me, of those. <laughs> let me ask you a question. Once you retire, then legally, can you discuss things that happened while you were employed, there are things that I have to, I, I, you know, because cases still exist, because uh, not, you know, they may, they may or may not be open. You know, there's certain things that you cannot get into details about. But I will be free to speak in more generalities about various things that I encountered, and uh, without and, and and how as a Christian you exist in that environment. 
uh, in the cha challenges that you face. Because I'll tell you right now, um, you work in an environment where it's the worst kind of society that you can deal with. And not everybody you work with, in fact, the vast majority of the people you work with are not Christians. And to think that that will not take a toll on you. Folks, I could use prayers once in a while. Let me just say, <laughs> it has to, it does take its toll, especially after nearly a quarter of a century of service. So, um, you know, there, like I said, there'll be things I can talk about. There'll be things I, details that I cannot get into, certainly cannot name names. Um, but but uh, I will be able, probably be able to speak a little bit more succinctly about the specifics of what I did, the type of agency I work for, and the challenges that I faced and, and, and how that can be very difficult at times. Uh, so I look forward to the day that I can do that um, because I think it's it, I think it would be helpful to people to understand that's a difficult area. Uh, I mean, it's not to say that there aren't really hard jobs out there. There's some really tough jobs. And uh, look, you work construction, you're working with some of the, you know, the harshest people in the world. So I, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, like somehow mine's more unique, but it's one that I think most people don't really think about, about because there's, it's a certain type of person that works in that field. And so one day, hopefully I'll be able to talk about all that, but yeah, it has its challenges and there's a reason I have a countdown clock and I'd be looking forward to the, so, the end of that field. There's, <laughs> there's your teaser for an episode that will be posted in about two, two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> it might be less than that. I mean, I got a year and three months, man. So uh, maybe took, let's say like maybe 18 months from now, we might be able to have that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, no. Otherwise, it's uh, by God's grace we've we've made it through another week, and uh, you know we're we're continue to move forward. And uh, there are times that the Lord does remind me I'm not the one in charge, and you find yourself asking questions, and and you're just having to trust the Lord. And uh, I, I I look forward to the day that that's not I don't have to have that discussion <laughs> anymore. It can be something else. So. Uh, but yeah, no, we're, we're, we're good, brother. We're good. Um, so we wanted to have a discussion, hopefully that <laughs> after that kind of intro, uh, <laughs> maybe a topic that's a little bit more hopeful, uh, uh, something that brings a little bit more hope and a little bit more joy into, uh, into your, your week as we go forward. And it stemmed out of something that I was reading and I talked to Rich about it, I even talked to my own pastor about it. And I gotta, I gotta think. Pastor Keller Hackbush because uh, of uh, Community Bible Church because I didn't think about this as a show topic. I just sent him a, a if, if you've not used it, you're like me, you were living under a rock. I guess there's an app called Marco Polo that un, like you can send a video message and then somebody watches it or they can watch it as it's coming in and then they can send one in response. So kind of like text messaging. And so I, I there are a few people... Andrew is one of them. Chris Huff from uh, Matter of Theology is another. Tried to get Rich on it. Rich didn't figure out the app. Uh, <laughs> I just don't. I don't do video. Yeah. I do not do video. Even even with Chris, I don't do video. And my wife and my daughter, I will on occasion do a FaceTime type thing. But even then, it's a matter of threatening to beat me with a frying pan to get me to do that. Zan, I need your help. Um, so anyways, so I, I had sent him, um, uh, uh, my pastor, a, 
uh, just one of these Marco Polo videos, and I was just talking about something I read in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, and something that I, I walked away from it after reading, and he's like, dude, that's a show topic right there for you. And I'm like, how did I not think of that? <laughs> so thank you, Pastor. I appreciate you. <laughs> You're supporting and giving us ideas. So um, the reason... And I, Go ahead, brother. I, I, will, I will add this. Chris is bringing the good news. Depending on your perspective, <laughs> I may be bringing the bad one because this is two weeks in a row now. Chris has had an idea or a thought, and I end up getting the ouches out of it, and I end up sharing the ouches. So uh, in, in one context... Chris is going to share some good news, and depending on your viewpoint, I may be giving you some bad news. So, well, <laughs> with I, that being said, well, what I will say is, what it's not bad news. It's more what your what Rich is going to bring is going to bring a a fully orbed picture of how this impacts us, and uh, it, all of that is necessary. But the reason I wanted to address this is it just kind of stuck out at me. I've kind of heard this mentioned in different ways in times past, but it just kind of stuck out to me. And so right now, I, I the way I've been doing my, my Bible reading, I think I've mentioned this earlier in the year, is I'm doing two cha chapters out of the Old Testament, two chapters out of the New Testament, kind of making my way through Scripture. And I've completed the, uh, the New Testament already, and I've kind of gone back and I'm going through it again. And so I'm in Luke right now. And I was reading Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, and it just kind of something that just kind of stuck out at me. And it's the account of Christ's coming into the world and the individuals who are all part of this and where they fit in society, so to speak. So the, in chapter one, the first thing we're taught, we're, uh, the per first person we're introduced into this account is the priest Zechariah. Now he's a he's of the division of Abijah. This is uh, the divisions that were set out by. Uh, if you're looking in, uh, I believe it was in First Chronicles, where he is, uh, where King David chooses out these divisions and who's going to be doing. We talked about this not long ago, Rich. We were talking, where wrapped up the episode saying. You know, here are all these people here. They, they 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 worked in the temple. They were you know they they had the treasury. They had this. They worked the gatekeepers, and and God knew their names right because they're listed in the in First Chronicles. In First Chronicles, we have the you know these divisions that of the priests that were set out, and one of them was the division of Abijah, and one and Zechariah was part of that division, or and he is serving in the temple. He's doing his uh, his time of service in the temple. And by lot, he's chosen to, um, you know, he, he gets to enter the temple and burn the incense and, and offer prayers on the behalf of Israel to the Lord. So here is somebody that apart from this moment, this kind of Wow, you're the guy, you got chosen to do that this time. And, 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 and uh, I, I was... Oh, it was it was the Reformed Commentary series. I was taking a brief look at it today. It, this was one of the it, they point out. This is one of those once in a lifetime opportunities because if you're if you're chosen by lot, you, you you don't get to do it again. You know, and you know you can't have the same guy getting to do it over and over. So this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So he's 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 a priest. He's he's it's not like he's the high priest. He's not the 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 person that everybody knows who that is. He's he's simply a humble 
servant in the temple, and he has the opportunity that so many would wish they could get the opportunity to do, which is to, to burn incense in the temple and pray before the Lord. So, in a lot of ways, and forgive how I phrase this, he's a nobody. He's not the high priest. He's not uh, someone you know serving at the right hand of the king. He's not uh, you know someone that everybody knew his name. He is a simple, humble servant serving the Lord. Now he and his wife are advanced in years. They had you know she had never been able to have a child, but yet. Here is a humble servant who becomes the father of the forerunner of Christ. And he is given the unique message by an angel sent from the Lord. Somebody that, you, may, you know, apart from maybe his raiment as he went to and from the temple, you, you might not have recognized him, you might not have known who he was, but here he is serving the Lord dutifully. And an angel is sent to him. Now, it's unfortunate that Zechariah and his faithful service forgot to be faithful in the moment that he received the message. Because he's like, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, angel, do you realize how old my wife and I are? Are you kidding me? And um, basically the angel says, zip it. And he, get, he gets it zipped for nine months. <laughs> so, But he is a humble servant. He is not of the highest ranks of the Sanhedrin. He is not a high priest. He's not a ruler in the city or a ruler of the Jews. He's simply a servant in the temple. Then we go fast forward to, uh, we, we are introduced to Joseph and Mary. Now, primarily in this account in Luke, we're dealing specifically with Mary. But if you go back to Matthew in, uh, in the second chapter, or, or excuse me, in the first chapter, we see Joseph. He is a carpenter. Again, a simple servant, laborer, not not a, a rich man. He lives in a in a town that is basically look whatever town in your area where there's like a lot of crime, or it's just a rundown, or it's like nobody. Everybody looks at that and goes, "Oh, there, you're from there." That's that was Nazareth, right? You know, remember they what was that? What was it was said? Does anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's that's what you're dealing with, right? Mary and Joseph, simple, excuse me, simply not simple, simply uh, humble, you know, followers of the Lord, doing what they've been called to do, being faithful in their service. Joseph is betrothed to Mary. Mary is before the foundations of the world were ever laid, was was called upon to be the one that would bear uh, Christ in his humanity. Would, you know, she would give birth to him. We know she's faithful. We know she's uh, faithful and, and trusting in the Lord because unlike Zechariah, who questions like, this can't possibly happen. Are you kidding me? She's like, she asks a genuine question because she's like, I'm a virgin how will I how will I be able to give birth? She doesn't say in the sense of I, that's not going to happen, but rather, okay, I I believe you, but how does this happen? She asks it faithfully, and we know that she you know, demonstrates this faithfulness because we have the Mag Magnificat in verses forty six through fifty five, where she's rejoicing at uh, at the coming of her Savior uh, of the Lord, who has looked upon her humble estate as a servant. 
uh, who has done, you know, she sees herself as one that the Lord has done uh, mighty, uh, the, the, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, giving glory to the Lord, faithful, you know, servant of the Lord, faithful, trusting, simply serving. We go to the... the hey, brother. Yes. Before you go any further, I'd like to point out what she, what Mary did not do. And you have to understand, the listener has to understand the context of the day and time for a young woman to become pregnant outside of wedlock was the most, one of the most vile offenses that could occur. And women that had that happen mm -hmm. were, were pregnant outside of marriage. They would be stoned to death. Yes. If a woman was caught committing adultery, they would be stoned to death. And knowing all of this, one thing Mary is never mentioned in the scriptures, but the fact that it's not mentioned points out that it didn't, you know, to me it's evidence that it was not, it didn't happen because as you said, in contrast, Zechariah questioned the angel. And in this instance, Mary, it never talks about her being fearful of her life. It never talks about her mm -hmm. doubting the word of the angel brought to her. She rejoiced. She was glad. It never talked about her fretting or worrying over mm -hmm. what was going to happen to her or what her family was going to think, what her to-be husband was going to think, whether anybody would believe her or not. None of that is mentioned because she had complete faith and trust in the Lord. She was rejoicing yes. that the Lord chose her to bring forth the Savior into the world. So as Christians, that's one example we can take and look at Mary and think, okay, the worst possible scenario for a young woman in that age and time, she wasn't worried about all these other things that could happen. She focused only on the promise and the hope and rejoiced in the fact that she was chosen of God. And that's also a prelude to us now as Christians, once we're actually indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it is the exact same Holy Spirit that blessed Mary to conceive Christ. We, once we are granted the gift of the Holy Spirit today and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and are in Christ, we can have that same type of faith and confidence and not look around in our situations and look around at what's going to, what's happening in the world around us or worry about what might happen. It's a good example to just focus on Christ and what in this, in our instance, what he has already accomplished and what he will accomplish still through the promises of his word. Go ahead. I'm sorry to have interrupted No, no. You. Awesome, brother. I'm, feel free. <laughs> absolutely solid absolutely solid please don't 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 apologize for that um in the interesting thing that you know you're in, in speaking about how terrible that uh stigma would have been we get a little bit of that when we look at uh matthew chapter one going to i believe it was verse 18 is where we have the account of the birth of christ and Mary is found with child, and it, it says she's betrothed to Joseph, verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolves to divorce her quietly. Now, that think about what, that, what Rich just said. 
a woman who is betrothed, not yet married, not yet consummated in this relationship, is found to be with child, that, that is an indication of infidelity. You could be stoned to death for this. Yet, Joseph is a just man, loves Mary, doesn't want to have her put to death, doesn't want to, uh, to mete out vengeance, because how dare you betray me this way. Rather, wants to put her... Uh, you know, to to divorce her quietly and not put her to shame, and yet, which was counter, yes, which was completely countercultural to that time and place and setting and age. That was him doing that would have been unheard of. And when you think about Christ Himself, who says, "I desire mercy and not sacrifice," the sacrifice was a command of uh, God to the Jews for atonement for sin for the you know the for the year yet what did it point to it pointed to the mercy of god and yet christ condemned this this ritualistic you know going into the temple for the sacrifice we did it we're good now we're just going for and there's no change of heart no faith no no uh no grace no mercy all ignored as long as we did check the box yet here is in joseph that mercy personified could have done by the law to the letter of law could have had her put to death, but wants to not put her to shame. And then when the Lord sends the angel to him and gives him the message that she is, uh, you know, it says, behold, the virgin, or excuse me, um, Joseph, son of David, do not take fear, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. In verse 24, it says, When Joseph, Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Simply by faith. Simply humbly serving. Recognizing. Taking her as his wife. And raising Jesus as his own son. How much stigma, how much disdain, how much this would affect them in the, in the culture around them. Faithfully serves the Lord. And again, Joseph is a laborer. He is a carpenter. He, you know, we're not talking like high-end carpentry. He's, he, you know, he's a laborer. He build th builds things that, you know, maybe a yoke for oxen and stuff like this. Um... So, this is not someone, again, of high society. And being in a culture where he keeps her as his wife, and it's apparent that she seems to have been uh, in, in, involved in infidelity, what that stigma brings to his family, yet he still faithfully serves. Then we fast forward to the birth of Christ and the announcement of his birth in uh, chapter 2 of Luke and we go to verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord, and if you're hearing Linus's voice as I read this, I'm I, sorry, I, I kind of feel like I, <laughs> if you've watched Charlie Brown Christmas, you know what I mean. But Now I do. <laughs> I, every time I read this, I think of Linus in that scene. I'm sorry. Um but he says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
Who did they appear to? Shepherds. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The most important announcement you can imagine. The angels, and the angel speaks to people of the birth of Christ. Does he go to the high priest? Does he go to the king? Does he go to the Sanhedrin? No, he goes to the lowliest servants in society, shepherds. These were not, this was not considered a high-end job. Think about Joseph as he tells his family, as they're coming into Egypt, tell Pharaoh your shepherds, which was what they were. Why? Because nobody was afraid of a shepherd. When David went to fight Goliath, you're just a shepherd. You can't fight Goliath. You're not a man of war. Shepherds were not exactly held in high esteem. And it's it's so funny when you think about it, because when you go to, um, I, mean, I had this up just, John chapter 7. Go to uh, verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Who are they coming to? These are the high society people in Israel. They are the highly esteemed. They are the people that Jesus often mocked because they wanted to be seen as high, uh, highly esteemed. They came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? In other words, bring Jesus here. We, we're we're going to deal with this. Verse 46, the officer said, no one ever spoke like this man. Verse 47, the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have you have, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Hold the music for a second. What was the expectation? That the high society, the intelligentsia, the religious leaders, they would be the ones to know. He would have revealed himself to them. Now, Christ did. This is why they picked up stones to stone him. But what was the expectation? If there's a Messiah, he would have told us. We're the ones that he would have come to. We're the, we're the ones with all the education. Yes. We're the ones that know the law because at one point they talked about the followers of Jesus basically calling them ignorant because yes. they didn't know the law. They hadn't studied it and gone to school and been instructed their entire lives in, in all of these matters. So there's no way these dumb local people could know, possibly know more than we do. Exactly. In fact, it's verse 49 where the same Pharisees say, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They mock this. They mock the idea that the people would know the Messiah and they, the intelligentsia, the high society, the rulers, they would not. In fact, they they, and, they actually go after Nicodemus in the following verses for this as well. But in in a lot of ways, shepherds were looked down upon even more so yes. than say a fisherman was, because the shepherds lived outdoors. They had maybe like a small tent of some sort. They lived out with their herds. They shepherded their flock. They were out there with them 24-7. There were no fences and, and corrals. Mm -hmm. Sheep in that day just roamed free and grazed, and the shepherds kept them herded up together. And 
you know, they'd go from one field to the next grazing and feeding until it came time to either shear the sheep or time to kill one for food. So we're, we're talking not necessarily nomadic, but they were a people that lived mm-hmm. outdoors and did this and did that. And they were also considered unclean because they're living amongst the animals and the forest and the rocks and all of this. And one reason Nazareth was looked down upon because it was not even good farmland because you're reading the scriptures, the hill country, meaning that it was going to be rocky and hills and no flatland and no good farmland and this type of thing. So that just kind of adds more to the context of just how lowly this segment of society would have been deemed by these religious elites who knew the law and had all this learning and spent all the time in the temple. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, absolutely. I, I hopefully you guys are starting to pick up a bit of a theme here. Let me give you two more examples. When they bring Jesus to the temple in fulfillment of the time of purification and the time of dedication, because you know, verse 23 of chapter two says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. They they were bringing him to the temple for this purpose, that they were to offer a pair of turtle, turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now they're coming to the temple. Who do you think would probably be realizing they've got the Messiah in front of them? That this is God the Son in human flesh in front of them. Is it the priests? Is it the high priest? Is it the servants of the temple? No. Now there was, verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This is a simple, loving, humble servant of the Lord who was righteous and devout, waiting upon the consolation of Israel, trusting in the Lord. He comes in, he goes out, it's the last we ever hear of him. And he, as he says, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. He's in, he's out. We never hear from him again. And then verse 36, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him of all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel or redemption of Jerusalem. She was there or you know um she got to see it yet in years to come as Christ preaches the word brings forth the gospel announces who he is reveals who he is through his words and his deeds we go back to John chapter 7 verse 48 have any of the Authorities or the Pharisees believed in him. What is, why am I going through all of this? Think for a moment to whom God did all this work. 
people who were not of high, highly esteemed, people who were not of noble birth, people who were not of the hoi polloi or the intelligentsia. They were simply servants, humble, faithful servants. And in many cases, people that most of society would have looked down upon. Christ came in the most debased, debasing way possible. He came that a young and, and, and was took up humanity in a, a womb of a young virgin. What did that say? How people looked upon him for the rest of his life. It was the Jews that nodded at this when they say we weren't born of sexual immorality. You think that that message hadn't gotten out? He lived with that all his life. His family lived with that all their lives. They were they were seen and kind of get that side eye glance that people really just not so sure about that. You know that Joseph and man that Mary man and Jesus who you know we don't even know who his dad actually is. Those who announced his birth as they go running through the streets are shepherds. Oh my goodness! Will somebody get those guys back out in the field? Tell them to go, stop hitting the wine and, and just go back to this watching the sheep before somebody, somebody, uh, a wolf or a lion kills them. Who does he take up as his, his disciples? Fishermen, as Rich, you just pointed out, they they are mocked. They're fishermen. They're tax collectors. They're zealots. How are they going to know anything? Why does that matter? It matters because Christ came in the lowest possible way. There is not one person in all the world who can ever look at Christ and say, you don't understand, Jesus. You don't understand my problems. There's no one who can say, hey, He's, yeah. I wanted to backtrack just a moment mm -hmm. when you were talking about Joseph and, and the people still, you know, Jesus still having to yeah. somewhat deal with that stigma of his mother supposedly a virgin. Um, if you go to Luke 3, verse 23, it kind of hints at that because in the ESV it states, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. Being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Eli. But that kind of hints to the fact that that word he was supposed or regarded as the son of Joseph tells me or makes me think that there was still doubt, mm -hmm. even when Jesus was 30 years old, that some people really still did doubt whether he actually was the son of Joseph or not. I, and, I, and I believe that's true, and I think that's why we see, and I, I forget where it's at, when Jesus and the, and the Pharisees are going back and forth, and he's saying, your father is the devil. At one point they say, well, we're not born of sexual immorality. I think that, that the question of his lineage was still with him, even as his name grew throughout all of his ministry. That, that even as they dug in and started figuring, who is this Jesus guy? That question comes back up. But the reason I, I want to point that out is, number one, he's, he comes at the lowest level. There's not one of us who can say, Christ, you don't understand my situation. But also, think about the opposite. Now, this is what God decreed in his word. 
This was never going to happen any other way. But let's just flip things over for a moment and say that Christ had come through the, through the family and the line of the high priest. How would you view Christ if you were a lowly shepherd? How would you view Christ if you were the man with leprosy who approaches him and says, if you will, you can heal me. Would you have approached Christ if he was of that estate? Would you feel like you could? Think about the people in your life, people that you respect, people who have of high estate or esteem, and you have an opportunity to walk up and talk to them. What happens? You, you, there's that sense of, I, I, what do I say? How do I, how do I conduct myself? Because this person's of high esteem. But you, somebody who grew up on the streets with you, man, you approach them no problem. The reason I say that is because I, I, we see in this is that Christ, when he emptied himself, when he made himself, when he stepped down out of the throne of heaven, when he made himself a man of no reputation, he came in such a way that it wouldn't matter what your status was in society. Now, don't read into what I'm saying. Just, just hear what I'm specifically saying. It wouldn't have mattered what status in society were. You could have been the lowest lowly shepherd. You could have been of someone who was of well-known as a king or a high priest. Because there's no one precluded by their status in society, by their rank, when Christ comes as the lowliest of the low. When his announcement is to the lowliest of society. When it's not the high priest who arrogantly presumed that God would consult them, but it is to the people that they had zero respect for that God announces and provides for and gives you know, uh, you know, the means to for Christ to come into this world. What I'm saying is hope is available at every level and every station of society if you will come to Christ in repentance and faith, you don't have to be a high intelligentsia, um, high priest, seminary level graduate to come to Christ. You don't have to be a king or a rich person. In fact, some of those things make it very difficult for you to come to Christ because you trust in something other than Christ. But the lowliest of the low have nothing, and they know that, and they know that their Savior knows that and was there. That their Savior, when, he, when it says that he is tempted in all ways human yet without sin, there is nothing about where, if he was a higher place in society, we might have said, oh, pff, how can he understand? But he understands more than you know because he came at the bottom rank of society. And so the access, which is obtained through repentance and faith, by the way, 
I don't want you to think that I'm pulling a, a woke maneuver where they go, well, see, Jesus understands the oppressed because he came as the oppressed, and therefore anybody who is oppressed, is, 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 is he's on their side. It's not what I'm saying. And boy, they say that, believe me. Um, rather, what I'm saying is, whatever your station there's nothing about your station that Christ does not understand, and it doesn't preclude you, your station, your rank, your place in society does not prevent you. That is not something that can keep you from Christ. What creeps you from Christ is refusing to repent and put your faith in him. You have hope in a Savior who understands all the rank of society, all the places of society, and knows the lowliest of the low, and was announced to the lowliest of the low, and there is nobody who cannot have access to him if they will come by the means that God has provided. And by the way, if you're in Christ... This is of great hope to you as well, because Christ understands what you've been through and what you're going through and what you will face and what you'll go, you know, what's waiting for you in the future. Because he lived that way. Remember, when people came to said, let me follow you, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, I have nowhere to lay my head. Oh, well, let me talk to my family and, and let me bury the dead. Let the bear, dead bury their own dead. You forsake all that, follow me. Well, you know, I've got these riches, get rid of them and follow me. He understood all of these things. And when you face temptation and trial and when you face struggle, you have a high priest who understands your state because he was there. There's nothing that you will face in this life that Christ himself did not face. We can't put him on a pedestal, so to speak, and say he can't get this because he's never been there. He's been there. And he put his full faith and trust in his father and did all that his father commanded him to do. And now he calls you to trust in him and be obedient to him in all things. And yes, he knows what you're facing and how downtrodden or oppressed or difficult your life is. And yet, he commands you to come to him in repentance. And if you're in him, to follow him, to, to lay down your life, to die to self and follow him. And believe me, he knows what that means. He knows what you have to give up. And how that may impact your life. And he still is there knowing what you're going through and still commanding you to lay, to lay it all down and follow him. Rich, I know there's more that we, we want to round this out with so that we make sure that we're not just giving a one-sided, lopsided view of this. But can you think of something that gives more hope? I mean, think about the God's that were, were talked about, the, the gods of Olympus, the Roman gods who were on high and they were capricious and maybe what you did would please, appease them, maybe it wouldn't. And maybe they'd come down and be, you know, interact with you and, and as a plaything for their pleasure. Or maybe they would, they would destroy you because, well, you just really didn't convince me today. Can you think of something that offers more hope than God who enters into humanity, but not at the highest ranks, at the lowest ranks, so that everyone who comes to him by faith has access. Well, in 
modern day context for them if christ had been the lineage of the high priest most people of lowly estate or the uneducated or in our terms people without some type of theology degree or doctorate you know we would in our finite thinking it's like showing up at the white house and standing at the gate and say i want to walk in and see the president they're going to turn you away and basically call you crazy thinking you're going to get in but in the context that we're discussing christ being born of the lowliest of the low and being able to understand what we go through because he went through it himself like you said a leper would have never approached a high mm -hmm. priest a leper would never have approached one of the religious rulers of the day they would have basically ran away from him because they didn't want to be unclean they didn't want to be filthy and dirtied by this nasty leper mm -hmm. walking up to them in fact they would have looked down on that leper and basically said how dare this man try to even talk to me mm -hmm. much less ask me to touch him and make him clean i mean i don't in today's society and in, in context in the world that we live in i think sometimes we leave historical perspective of the new testament and, and the life and the age in which they lived and you know we we hear so much like you were talk, talking about you're not trying to relay some woke message about christ understands what all, all the oppressed that's not the meaning of this the meaning of this is that we don't need some pope we don't need some high priest we don't need the the ceremonial things that the mosaic law required because in the tent only the high priest could enter the inner sanctum christ has entered that inner sanctum for us and is our mediator our advocate to god for those that are actually in christ um in hebrews chapter four and i know we don't really have time to go super in depth in a lot of these things but i was as you and i were discussing this episode I found a really good piece by A.W. A. Pink on some of these topics, and the link is in the show notes, and I encourage all of our listeners to go read the entire article. I'm only going to hit on a couple of the high points from that, but on Hebrews 4, A.W. Pink was writing, the passage opens by announcing that Christians have liberty margin or freedom confidence to approach unto God this language presenting a design contrast from the case of national Israel under the old economy. The liberty to draw near unto the heavenly mercy seat is by the blood of Jesus, the foundation of all confidence in our access to God, and the title to approach unto him lies in the infinitely meritorious sacrifice which Christ offered unto God on our behalf, and this we must ever plead before God. Our encouragement, so to do, lies in the office which our Savior now exercises on behalf of his people, namely high priest over the house of God. This is most blessedly brought before us in, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. In what next follows in our passage, we're shown the way our manner 
excuse me, in, in what next follows in our passage, we are shown the way or manner in which we are to make use of the unspeakable privilege described in verses 19 through 21. In other words, we are required to meet the terms of verse 22 if we are to enjoy the conscious, conscious access to the thrice holy God. Before going any further, brother, you want to add anything to this? No, no, you're, this is great. Keep going, brother. It it goes. He goes on, and like I said, I'm not going to read through this in, entire article. But some of this alludes back to Ephesians chapter two, verse eighteen. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The word "both" is in, is stating both Jews and Gentiles have this access to Christ. We have this access through Christ to God. First and foremost, kind of hint back to last week's episode, it was a foreign concept to the Jews that the Gentiles would be allowed access to God the Father, that the Gentiles would be grafted in, that they would be granted and offered this gift of salvation was foreign to the Jews which goes back to the mystery that was hidden for all ages, that the Gentiles, too, would be offered this gift of salvation. So in, in this verse, Paul is telling the people, the church in Ephesus, that both Jews and Greeks have this access. But we need to remember the matter of our approach into the... Now, I'll just be frank. I'm just basically reading the notes from A.W. Pink, but some of it's condensed for time. The matter of our approach into the presence of God is one of vital importance, yet it is one, like so many others these days, upon which much confusion and misconception exists. We will not now attempt to canvass the principal errors per pertaining thereto, for there would be little profit to either writer or reader in prosecuting such a task, meaning we're not going to address all the false ways. Rather, we wish to call attention unto the various aspects of the subject, for it is failure to perceive these and hold their due balance, which has resulted in the fostering of false impressions in quarters which some regard as being the most orthodox sections of Christendom. If one essential aspect of this subject is ignored, or if another one is emphasized to the virtual exclusion of everything else, then the most misleading and dangerous ideas must result therefrom. Basically, what he's saying at this point is, it's not by our own merit. It's not just any way we want that we could go and address and plead to Christ. Let us, be, let us begin by asking the question, is it possible for a depraved and defiled creature to obtain access unto the thrice holy one? If there is one thing taught more plainly in the scriptures than another, it is that sin separates the sinner and God. This fearful fact is impressively set forth in Genesis 3.24, that flaming sword was a symbol of a sin-hating God bearing approach into the emblem of his presence. When Jehovah appeared on Sinai amid the most solemn manifestations of his solemn presence, even the favored Hebrews were commanded under pain of death to keep their distance from him. An Israelite who became ceremonially unclean was rigidly excluded from the camp. Even when the tabernacle and the temple were erected, the common people were not allowed to enter the holy places. In how many different ways did God make it evident that sin obstructed any access to himself? But not only does God debar the sinner from access to himself, the sinner himself has no desire to approach unto him. 
Rather does he wish to flee as far as possible from his presence. A sense of sin and guilt of it upon the conscience drives the sinner from the Lord. This fact was also solemnly exemplified at the dawn of human history. Just as long as our first parents remained in dutiful subjection to their maker, walking in obedience to his commandments, they enjoyed blissful communion with him. But as soon as they became self-willed and rebellious, all was radically altered. After they had eaten of the forbidden fruit and they heard the voice of the Lord God in the garden, they fled in terror, seeking to hide from him, and thus it has been ever since. Is there then no access to God for the fallen creature? If there were not, we would not be engaged in writing this article, or Chris and I would not be engaged in this conversation. Access to God is possible, possible even for the chief of sinners, but only via the appointed mediator. As the Lord Jesus so emphatically declared, no man comes unto the Father but by me, John fourteen six. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ and by him alone, not through priest or pope, Mary or the angels, good works or tears, that we may, that we may obtain access to God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access, Romans 5, 1. In pointing this out, we are covering ground which is thoroughly familiar to all our readers, truth which is still proclaimed in many places today. Yet it is by no means the whole of the truth on this subject, though it is all that is presented therein in certain quarters. It is those neglected aspects which we now desire to particularly stress. Once again, we would point out that unless we differentiate between things that differ, there is bound to be confusion and error. So here, we must, distingu must distinguish between the way of access which Christ has opened for sinners into the presence of God, the qualifications which are required from those entering that way, and the exercise of those qualifications so that the way is actually used. But the moment we mention qualification and the necessity for exercising the same, some will murmur, insisting that we are thereby sounding a legalistic note and destroying the simplicity of the gospel. Then let us ask such objectors, are hypocrites entitled to use that way of access which Christ has opened? Do Christians who exercise no faith but simply offer cold and mechanical prayers enter into God's presence? If the objector answers, answers no, as, honestly, as honesty compels him to do, then he has granted our contention whether or not he agrees with us in detail. The article goes on to state, three things are absolutely necessary if any is to have access to God. First, he must have the legal right or title to do so, meaning you must be saved. Second, he possesses the, necess the necessary moral fitness. Loose walking severs communion with God. Let me repeat that. Loose walking severs communion with God, meaning we cannot lose our salvation, but we definitely can hinder our sanctification. And then he will act dis distantly towards us. Our sin must be repented of and humbly acknowledged before fellowship can be restored with God. Yes, even if our fault be only against a fellow creature, it must be righted before God will accept our worship. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Matthew five twenty three twenty four. 
How many are unable to obtain conscious access to God through failure at this very point? Turn unto me, says the Lord Almighty, and I will turn unto you, Zechariah 1.3. That is, if we would have God turn unto us in mercy, we must turn unto him in obedience. We must go to God on God's terms. We cannot be participating and practicing sin this morning and then turn around that night and go to God in prayer and ask for blessings. It doesn't work that way. That's not from this article. That was just me Mm -hmm. throwing that in there. And in closing, uh, one other point I wanted to state from this article, and like I say, I would encourage, if you're listening to this episode, go read this article because it goes in far greater depth than we have time to hear. But the first point, first, let us draw near with a true heart. This is the principal qualification. A true heart is one that beats true unto God. It denotes sincerity in contrast from hypocrisy. It is not the reverent posture of the body or the language of the lips with which God is chiefly concerned, but rather with the heart the seat of our affections. They who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, or their performance is utterly futile. The mere outward performance of religious duties, no matter how scrupulously undertaken, is not sufficient. It is the sincerity of our hearts which God has chief regard to. In all our approaches unto him, God will bear with infirmities, but not with hypocrisy. God will bear with infirmities, but not with hypocrisy. We cannot be committing murder of the heart one moment and then going to God in prayer and asking for blessings and help in the next breath. This is somewhat a carryover from last week's episode. And I was telling Chris in pre-show when I was reading through this and I came upon the verse in Matthew 5, 23, 24, and I was reading it. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I didn't, I didn't realize it at the time until I pulled up and was reading that entire chapter in context. This was the verse following the verse we talked about last week about committing murder in the heart when we call somebody rocker or fool or stupid or an idiot. When we are committing murder of the heart by our words and thoughts and what's in our heart towards someone else, and yet in the same breath are trying to glorify Christ and claim to serve Christ, that's not the type of heart worship that God will acknowledge or that God honors or that those type of prayers will be answered. We can't in one breath be praying that someone be struck dead and in the next breath asking God to bless us and our family. It doesn't work that way. We have to, even, even saved, we have to come to God with the right motives and with the right heart. And if we are guilty of sin, our first prayer should be, Christ, please open the, my eyes to the sins in my life. Help me see and understand the sins I've committed. Help me to repent of the sins that I've committed against you. And then we go to Christ in prayer asking for help, asking for blessings, asking to be with us and guide and lead us. We cannot go to Christ with murder in our heart towards a fellow man and then turn around and ask him for a blessing. That is the hypocrisy that A.W. Pink was talking about in this article. So as we close out, brother, I'll let you have the last words, but I have to say this is another 
week where something you mentioned jumped out at me and I had to say ouch because after reading through this article by E.W. Pink, I realized the way we approach God in prayer, we have liberty to approach Christ mm-hmm. as a high priest, but even then we have to do it in a manner that God ordains. Amen. Amen. And and hopefully, even though we we, we kind of started this with the, you know, he, Christ came in flesh at the lowest levels, which gives us hope and gives us access, that doesn't in any way negate, as you just pointed out, and, and as uh, A.W. Pink wrote, it doesn't negate our responsibility as followers of Christ. If you do anything, when you read through the, the you know, the, the law, which is given to the, the Jews as uh, before they enter into the promised land, you go through, you know, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you recognize that God has always been a God who has the, the say on how we approach him. He has given us access through Christ. And that is great joy, a source of great joy and of great hope that there is no status, no rank of society, no people group or any other individuals that cannot have access, but we must come by his means. We must come as people, not who say, well, you're just going to come, we're just going to come as we are and you're just going to accept us. That has been a really sloppy evangelical effort to just say, well, you just come to, you know, God will take you as you are. Come to Jesus as you are. In one respect, yes, I come as a broken sinner, a rebel, someone incapable of pleasing God. But I come in his prescribed manner through repentance and faith. And then... As one who has been called, who has been redeemed, who has been given the uh, the Holy Spirit who resides within me, who has given a new heart and new desires, I seek to be obedient to God. So we don't want to say in a lopsided way of saying, well, here's the hope that Christ is accessible to any strata of society. Without saying, but you must come to him his way. And if you come, if you say you're a follower of Christ, then there should be this radical transformation, this desire to no longer live in such a way that was a rebellion against God, but it is a desire to live according to his holy commandments. Let's see. Uh, Quote from John Owen, universal sanctification on our whole people and the mortification in an especial manner of of outward sins are required of us in our drawing near to God. The the mortification of sin. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate that. Um, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. I told you guys he does the research in this group. Um, (laughs) But we are called to forsake sin. Yes, Christ came at the lowest level, so that there would be no one who could say, there's no way I have access to him. But his access is 
through repentance and faith, that we trust complete in the completed work of Christ, that we have turned from our sins. And then as followers of Christ, forsaking and mortifying our sins so that we draw close, closer and closer to God, that ongoing process of sanctification, that we have been set apart and made His unique people, and that He is taking us day by day and transforming us more and more into the image of Christ. Folks, we want this to be a message of hope to you. We want this to be something that leads you to recognize the beautiful Savior that you have in Christ, and that there is no excuse. You can't say, well, and I've had people say this to me. I've done too much. There's nothing I there's no way I can be forgiven. That access is available to you, but you must repent and put your faith in Christ. You must turn from those sins and you must come to Christ. And you must trust completely in him and his completed work. If you do that, and then the outward fruit begins to show, then you we, we rejoice with you because you you partook of that you know that, that that offer of salvation and you turned to Christ and you grew in Christ and you became obedient you forsook your sins you, you recognized that the sins that dwelled within your heart, where, you know that that's you. That's who you are, and you've turned from that. And Christ has given you a new heart, and now you seek to be obedient to Him. That is the hope that we have. All that the world has to offer does not compare to this. There's nothing that the world can put in front of you that can entice you beyond with with something grander than this. We talked last week about the how and the why if we get engaged in the culture wars. This message does applies no matter what. If tomorrow all of this fell and we became a China or we became a North Korea or you know we were a pagan nation under a false ide- uh, false religious ideology and we are now oppressed peoples and uh, persecuted to the fullest extent by the way, persecution happens at multiple levels, not just the worst of the worst. Oh, no, oh, that's persecution. Persecution starts on the edges. <laughs> Simple things like, oh, well, you're, you know, you, this person has nothing to offer because they're a Christian. You need to ignore them. That's, that's a form. That's a, it's pushing, pushing us out of the edge of society, pushing us from the public square. That's a form of persecution. Some of y'all winsome and nuanced people need to remember that. Anyway. Getting back. If all of this fell tomorrow and we were China, this message is still magnificent. The glory of God still is untarnished. The, the access to Christ is still there. Turn from sin, turn to Christ, live in obedience. And that applies no matter what time, no matter what society, no matter what rank, no matter how high, no matter how low, it's the same message. 
And Christ coming as a lowly child into the lowest ranks of society to have his birth announced to the lowest of the, <laughs> of the employment class is a testimony to that. That's your Savior. He came down that low that his people might be redeemed. Hopefully that brings you some hope this week. Rich, any last thoughts as we let everybody go tonight? Well, um, I had sent this to you. It's a verse I couldn't think of back that went along with the John Owen quote. It's in James chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's not a matter of legalism. It's a matter of do you truly want to strive for holiness? Do you truly want to strive to live and walk in the Spirit? All of these things go back to you have to do it in a manner in which God ordains, in which he commands. Yes, any level of society, any class of people, any race of people, any job classification of a person can come to Christ, but you must come to Christ on his terms. The way is narrow and the road is broad that leads to destruction. Christ said, no one can come to God the Father unless he comes through me. And to come to, the, to God the Father through Jesus Christ means you have to make sure you're going through the Christ that's actually in the Bible, mm -hmm. not the Christ that's being proclaimed among the nations of the world today, not the Christ that American evangelicalism is proclaiming and supposedly following. And it's not those who follow Christ that are saved. It's those who repent and believe with trust and faith in Christ that are saved. And in order to truly be saved in Christ, the first step is you have to be humble before God Almighty. No proud, arrogant person can truly come to Christ and be saved if they're still relying on their own self, their own words, their own thoughts, their own opinions, or the opinions of others. You come to Christ on his terms and in his way, in his way alone. And whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you once again, folks. We appreciate your time. We genuinely hope that this has been a blessing to you. Uh, we pray that it gives you a sense of hope, but also the responsibility that comes with when we have turned to Christ and followed him, that we come in, a man, in his manner, prescribed manner, and then that access come with with that access comes the call to be obedient to walk in holiness and righteousness not to sit there and think that we can continue to live as we did in the past such were some of you paul wrote indicating a turning from a turning from sin a turning to christ and obedience such were some of you that is what we are called to so have hope rejoice that the, that the Christ who took on humanity at the lowest level of society is the Christ who redeems you now, knowing that 
Use that access you've been given that you might be obedient to him. That you might reflect his majesty and his glory. And as my brother Rich said, go proclaim the biblical way of salvation. Let someone know about the Christ who redeemed you. And that whose access you have because of that. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time.